um, am here to talk a little bit about, and, and here it's called a sermon, uh, but I've never, <clears throat> never given a sermon on the museum, but that's what I'm here to talk about, is the National Museum of American Religion. I, I founded a few nonprofits that championed, one championed virtue and the other religion, uh, this is two decades ago, uh, as indispensable to the American experiment in self-government. And one was called Community Levy Association, and that pushed the idea of that civic virtue is essential. And then America's Quilt of Faith uh, pushed, pushes the idea that religion is absolutely essential to the American experiment in self-government. And out of America's Quilt of Faith, out of the work we did there, the idea of a museum that tells the story of America's uh, religious history uh, came about. And so that is now where I donate most of my uh, volunteer time is to this effort. We're a startup. Uh, the plan is to build a museum, a brick-and-mortar museum, with a heavy online presence uh, and very hyper-interactive, uh, build a brick-and-mortar in Washington, D.C., to tell this very um, amazing story of what religion uh, wrapped in this idea of religious freedom that the country has come up with to answer the ancient and bloody question of church and state. Not a perfect answer, but definitely a, an answer that has provided uh, much of what Thomas Jefferson preached a place where people, um, at least it's aspirational, that all people can worship as they wish or not worship. Uh, so that, that story of, of religion's influence on the country is what uh, will drive the museum and will explain how religion has influenced the country, uh, the American story, but also how America has uh, had a great influence on religion itself, religions themselves, including the, this idea of religious freedom. We don't know how long this will take. This could be a 10 to 15 year project. Uh, it's very expensive, um, but we're, we're, we're dedicated to this idea because we feel uh, that um, most historians agree that religion has been perhaps the most powerful force in the American fabric. Uh, for good and ill, religions have been used to do wonderful things in this fabric, but they've also been used to do uh, what I call dastardly things. In the, in the story. So uh, we, my friend and I, I'm a co-founder of this effort, uh, to sort of discover this on our own, that this has been the juggernaut in the, in the American story. Um, but, all, but then on the other hand, uh, this story is not told in any of the museums of Washington, D.C., where mo many people come to sort of try to touch, to find something tangible to touch. What, the, what is the essence of the American story? What's what is this that's going on here? Uh, nor is it taught in our American uh, public, American history classes. So this history is taught, but not the, the, the story of what religion has, what roles religion and religions have played in the story. And it's overwhelming. It's in our DNA, what religion and religious freedom. It's everywhere to be found, yet it's not told to, to the general public. Uh, and, and many foreign visitors that come to Washington, D.C. So upon finding these two uh, things, we said, well, let's remedy this. Let's build a museum, a safe, neutral, historical museum that simply tells the story that's behind us. We understand religion is super sensitive. Uh, it's very personal. And that's maybe why it has not been taught and explained. But we feel like... Um, for the country to understand itself in this very tumultuous century uh, regarding religion. It's very, very tumultuous, both domestically and, as we all know, um, 
uh, the world over, it, religion is everywhere in the news and uh, and and used to divide and used to harm, uh, and also used to love and to bring together. But it's there, yet we don't understand America's sort of religious history, and that puts us at a disadvantage for pushing this uh, American experiment with some, you know, with a vision of success into the 21st century. So. Uh, we feel very, very strongly about this, that it's something worthwhile, something the country needs. Uh, we, we won't do it if it, uh, there's many ways to do this. And we feel the tugs from the right and the left to do it one way or the other. But we're committed to doing what we call the right way, the, the neutral way, the historical way, because we, um, more than anything else, we don't want to be involved in any effort that further fractures the country, which is, uh, you know, fracturing, as we all know, quite a bit. Um, and I don't, I, I refuse to be part of fracturing the country, especially with religion and religious freedom. I'd rather not do this project uh, than do it in a way that, that fractures us. So what I'm going to do is play a three-minute video that will give you sort of a sense of what this startup is about, what we're trying to do, and then I'll uh, talk for a few more minutes. And I, I do appreciate the, the um, reading. Thomas Jefferson, as you know, uh, or, or maybe not, but he he played a, a very integral role in what the American religious landscape has become. And it was, it was super revolutionary what he did um, back in the uh, 18th century. So uh, that was a great, a great thing to talk about. And there will be certainly uh, a lot in the museum about Thomas Jefferson uh, and the founders and how they viewed uh, religion in the future of this country. And I'll also say it's great to be here in Old Black Church and also with the... Um, uh, UU uh, community, uh, you all know, and we know that uh, they have played a huge role in the American story and very significant role and continue to do so. Uh, and so certainly your story and your influences on the uh, trajectory of the American experiment will be, uh, will have their place in the museum. So it's an honor to be, to be with this particular group, this particular faith community just from the historical, religious historical perspective. So let's play that for a couple minutes and then I'll come back up. Religion and the freedom that fuels it have been at the heart of the American experience from the very beginning. It has shaped our values, guided our principles, influenced domestic and foreign policy, and molded our sense of national identity. Yet despite this persistence, the role that religion has played is not told in our public school history classes, nor is it presented in the monuments and museums of the nation's capital. As a result, Americans have, in large measure, failed to learn and remember their own history. Collectively, we are forgetting who we are. The National Museum of American Religion will restore this forgotten past by telling the story of America's religious history through the lens of religious freedom. This private museum will invite visitors to explore the role of religion in shaping the social, political, economic, and cultural lives of Americans and of America itself. Located in the nation's capital, the museum will highlight the centrality of personal and organized religion to America's history and contemporary life, and the museum's vibrant exhibits will explore the impact of individuals and movements whose beliefs and values have contributed to the unique legacy of our nation. 
For these reasons, the National Museum of American Religion has become essential for the United States of America to fulfill its destiny. Support the National Museum of American Religion today. Okay, so anyways, you can go to our website and see that film. It, it, it just sort of paints the picture that, of what I just explained, of the role, the, the visceral and beautiful and uh, significant role that religion and religious freedom have played in this country. I wanted to take uh, two or three minutes to tell two stories that I think you'll find interesting uh, about religion's influence, um, which is everywhere, as I said, in the American story. The first is... Uh, has to do sort of with this church. So um, one way to view the Civil War is to see it as a theological crisis. Um, so in the 19th, in 18, in the 18th century, uh, one could say with, with pretty high confidence that this country was built on the book, meaning the Bible. Um, it, it had heavily influenced uh, most of the persons in the country, including uh, the founding generation and all subsequent generations. So we had this very Bible-based society. Um, as we know, religion was used to both uh, was used both for the abolitionists' arguments and for the slaveholding argument, um, and the abolitionists, well, the slaveholding argument, you know, you, you probably are aware of what they said. Generally, they would say things like, look, Jesus never said no more slavery, right? We see in the Bible that there was slavery. There were slaves. So that's sort of the, the foundational, what they stood on as they argued for slavery and ex extent, uh, expansion. Then on the other hand, you'd have the abolitionists that used the same book to fight against slavery. And they would, among other things, talk about Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, you know, all sorts of things in the New Testament that one could interpret as slavery uh, wasn't, we will say Jesus was against slavery based on what his teachings were. And the abolitionists stood on that sort of interpretation of the Bible. Fascinating thing is, in the 19th century, pre-Civil War, no matter what side you were on, uh, uh, the general consensus was the slave, you know, the pro-slavery Bible-based arguments were mainstream. Even the people in the North viewed them as mainstream. While it were, there was a general consensus that the abolitionist argument, Bible-based arguments, were twisting and some would use different verbs, but we're, we're, we're taking what they saw in the Bible and, and massaging them or twisting them for their ends. So it's very fascinating to understand that in the 19th century, no matter which side you were on, north or south, pro-slavery, pro-abolition, the environment was those who used the Bible to argue against slavery were using what was in that holy book that built this nation and twisting them a little bit or a lot for their ends. And as we know, this, this 
country that was built on the book, the Bible, that book could not save us. And we had to result in cataclysmic war to, at that time, try and resolve the question, which we are still dealing with, but there was a resolution through that cataclysmic, horrific civil war which tore families and killed so many. So that's the, that's the first story. The second uh, is a World War II story. Um, so before we joined the effort against Nazi Germany, we were trying, as you know, to support Churchill, right? That lonely island uh, against fascism. And FDR was very political. He was a super politician, so he knew he could only do so much. For, so for a long time, we didn't join and fight, but we did lend lease and we gave them moral support. One time, uh, he sent over one of his trusted advisors, you may know his name, Harry Hopkins, and Harry went over there to talk with Churchill, and the, the general message from FDR was, Harry, I need you to continue to let Churchill and the English people know of our support, even though I don't have the, I don't have the politics here where I can sort of officially join uh, against Nazi Germany. He just wasn't there yet. And, and this is what happened to Harry Hopkins. I think you'll find it super uh, meaningful. I'm just going to read from this book, a fascinating book called The Sword of the Spirit, Shield of Faith. It is uh, a great book about religion in American foreign policy from the beginning. Okay, uh, this is quoting from the book. Uh, Hopkins imparted uh, FDR's message with, great, with a great deal more emotion. Rather than try to emulate Churchill's soaring rhetoric, Hopkins simply quoted from a passage in the book of Ruth. Whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God, even to the end. Hopkins had meant to be reassuring, but the effect of his words was far greater than he had intended. According to Churchill's personal physician, who was at the dinner, at the, dinner the prime minister was in tears. He knew what it meant. Hopkins' impromptu sermon seemed like a rope thrown to a drowning man. Though the comments were censored for fear of antagonizing isolationists in the United States, presidential speechwriter Robert Sherwood recalled that word of it spread all over Britain. Lord Beaverbrook, in charge of Britain's wartime industrial production, told Sherwood that Hopkins' biblical pledge, and this is a quote, provided more tangible aid for Britain than had all the destroyers and guns and rifles and ammunition that had been sent previously. Close quote. So these are just two of almost an infinite number of, of stories that the museum would like to show the American people. This museum will be people-based. It's all about, because religion is intrinsically a person thing, it changes, it does things to people, this museum will be full of stories that, that move us, that touch us, that make us joyful, that make us super sad. But at the end, we will all, I think, understand better the very complex relationship that religions had in this American story and the revolutionary nature of this idea of religious freedom that we have tried to capture uh, and put into law and continue to expand so that it encompasses more and more uh, of, the, of people in this country and throughout the world. Um, so I, again, appreciate the time I had. I've taken about 15 minutes. This is what what uh, he told me to. I will be around at the end. We can talk more. Uh, I have a little brochure that you can take home and 
I, I, I uh, encourage you to, to go to our website and see what we're about and uh, try to catch the, the vision and the spirit of what we're trying to do. Thank you.